Good morning. It's nice to see you all again. Um, hello at the back. I can see you. I know when you can't see anything at home. Um, I can't see properly, but uh, <clears throat> or hear properly. I can't do much properly as I think about it. I'm going to put these down here. Thank you for your prayers, Matt. That is meaningful, and I do appreciate it. Um, I bring you the greetings from home, from Rosa Christchurch. Uh, again, as I always say, they're glad to be rid of me for another week. I'm going to put this on so I know how long I am. There we go. It really is good to be with you. And uh, I forgive my uh, attire. I normally wear a jacket, but I froze to death last time I was here. I just didn't know what it was going to be like. Nick's walking around in his shorts and T-shirt. But crying out loud, mate. Just one day yesterday was warm, and now look at it. It's because you put those on that the weather's changed. I'm blaming you. Hey, if you've got a Bible, would you please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. <clears throat> and uh, I want to talk to you this morning, in the short time we have, about the gentleness of Christ. So if you want a title, if you're the kind of person that makes notes, I'm not. But, but if you do, I want to talk to you about the gentleness of Christ. I'm going to read from uh, verse 14, towards the end of chapter 4, through into a couple of verses in chapter 5. So here we go. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect or in every way has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men, in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. I wonder who is the most gentle person you know. Who's the most gentle? Probably your mother. It wasn't my mother. Um, that's a whole different story. I wonder who's the most gentle. Now, I don't mean, I, I don't mean uh, gentleness as in just, um, I don't know, uh, niceness. But who would you go to? Where would you run if you, if you mess up? Where would you go in order when you're at your weakest? Because you want to go to someone gentle. So not the nicest person, but the person who takes great care. The word gentle in Scripture, it's, it's, it's used in the same way. You've seen these archaeologists where they're... It drives me nuts. You watch this thing on TV where they're, they're trying to get out a broken pot. And they've got this kind of, I don't know, it looks like a makeup brush. And they're just doing this. I think, just dig the thing out, will you? Just dig it out. I can't wait for an hour to see this broken. 
But that's the kind of thing, this, this sense of gentleness is that sense of great taking great care with something that is precious. And when you're suffering or in pain or if you've messed up and you want to run to someone, you want to run to someone who is gentle. Someone who understands your weaknesses, your foibles, your mistakes, your sins. And someone who understands because in some ways they've either been through it, so therefore they're like you. There is a, a fellowship of suffering that we find with people. If you've ever lost someone close to you, you know the people that help you most are those who have lost someone close to them and can understand, I get it. You know, I've heard it said, loneliness is having no one to run to. And so there are times in my life where when I've messed up or when I'm broken or when I'm grieving or when I'm confused or anxious, I don't go to someone who doesn't understand grief or anxiety or confusion or brokenness. I need someone who goes, all right, mate, I understand. It's in these moments when there's nowhere to run, people give up, people walk away, people just jack it all in because there's no one. Well, the context of this whole letter to Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it. I think it's Apollos, but don't put that out there. It's not Paul. We don't know the writer, but it's within the scriptures. And it's a wonderful book, and we've been through the whole thing at home uh, at, uh, at a different time. The whole of the book is really about hanging on, not giving in, not quitting, not walking away. I preached this many times, and this is a well-known scripture, but I want to look at it again. Chapter 3 and 4 uh, are strong warnings, strong warnings against throwing in the towel. The writer to Hebrews is really concerned these people are just going to give up, just going to quit for a whole different set of reasons. And the warning ends in, in chapter 3 and 4, coming at the end of it. The warning ends with these few verses in, in chapter 4, verse 11. And it's really serious stuff. I mean, this is, this is right, powerful stuff. It says in verse 11, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. If you read those verses and you've read those two chapters and you are weak, broken, aware of failings and sins or mistakes or grieving or anxious, you're not going to run there. Who wants to run to someone who pierces the division of soul and spirit joints and marrow, discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And you see these words like naked 
and exposed and not hidden and giving an account. It's just like, that's the last place I want to go. And that's God. This is God. We mustn't, we mustn't domesticate him. He dwells in unapproachable light. He is a consuming fire. And this is real. And this is true. But that just freaks me out. Because to go to that person who knows exactly what's going on, to whom I must give an account, who strips me naked and bare and cleaves me in half, to know the reality of my thoughts and intentions as well as my acts, who's going to pray to him? Who's going to run to him? Not me. But then it all changes. And it all changes. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And then you get this incredible sense of, you know, the, the reality of who God is, and then this incredible reality of who is with him. You know all this. I'm not telling you anything new. Well, let's say it again, because I need to remind myself. It's like the sense of the judge is standing at the door in those verses, but there's someone sitting next to him. There's someone sitting next to him. And what I want to do in this time we have is look at who that someone is and what he does. We have someone on the inside. Since, therefore, we have a great high priest. Someone who gets us. Someone who helps us. It says in, in chapter 2, verse 18. Therefore, uh, sorry, in verse 18. For because, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Zechariah 3, don't go there. It, it, it's a picture almost of Zechariah 3 where Joshua the high priest is being accused by Satan. And God steps in and says, the Lord rebuke you. And explains how the salvation that's going to come in Christ is the thing that clothes Joshua the high priest. Christ is ascended, seated at the right hand of the Father until all things are going to be put under his feet. You say to me, yes, but isn't Jesus just the same of God, holy and righteous and not like us? Yes, he is. But he's also just the same as us, fully man and fully God. But it's in his humanity he acts as our advocate. Now, we've got to be careful here because 1 John talks about if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That word advocate is used only the other time when he talks about the Holy Spirit. It's the word parakletos. It means the one who comes alongside, para, alongside kletos, to come. So he comes alongside the Father on our behalf. And he is an advocate. He's not pleading our case anymore. I'll get to that in a minute. But he is there 
as a great high priest to this one who knows all, sees all, holds all accountable, pierces the heart and intentions, and there's one sitting next to him who understands. So I want to talk about what is he like, what does he do, how do we respond? Three points, isn't that cool? Preachers, three points, but they don't alliterate, okay. What's he like? Well, as I said, like us in every way imaginable. So we see that there in verse 17 of chapter 2. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. In every way, Jesus Christ is like you and me. You think, how can that B, well, this is the glory of the incarnate God in human form. Every way made like us. In, verse, in chapter 4, verse 15, as we've just read there, it says, He struggles like us in every respect. Now, it's talking here about the high priests that were, that were appointed, but the whole point of this scripture is that Jesus is just that same kind of high priest. Jesus struggled like us in every respect. Yes. In his humanity, the temptation to fear, to anger, to loneliness, to disappointment, to despair, to self-protection, fear of pain, death. These are real things that Jesus goes through. Just go to the garden as the writer in Hebrews is going to take us afterwards and say just look at the garden if you want to know the humanity of Jesus see him cry out see him sweat blood because of the distress he's going through again in 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 5.2 it says he can deal gently with the ignorance away with since he himself is beset with weakness beset Jesus in his incarnation on earth was beset with weakness. That doesn't mean he had moments of trial, moments of challenge, moments of difficulty. It was permanently there. Yet without sin. Yet without sin. You think, well, you say Jesus is like me and understands, but he surely, he's the son of God. I mean, he is God himself incarnate. So I'm a broken sinner. He wasn't a broken sinner. So how can he fully understand? How can he understand my struggles and temptations and challenges? Well, let me put it this way. I remember a story, I've told it before, about a kid in school when I was in Llanedin High School in Cardiff, a dreadful place. And we had, <clears throat> we had a, a sadistic PE teacher, as most are, if you're a PE teacher here, repent and change your job. Um, we had a sadistic PE teacher, and if you were out of order, he'd make you hang on the wall bars. Remember the wall bars? Hang on the wall bars, stick your legs out like this, and keep your legs out at a 90 degrees angle, hanging on the wall bars. Those were the days, eh? And if you fell, they'd beat you, so. Um, didn't do me any harm. <laughs> And, and he'd make us hang on the wall. Well, you, you know, you try hanging on the wall bars. I couldn't even hang for a minute, a second now. But 
I was skinny and young, and I would hang there for a minute or two. And then you'd start collapsing these shelters, and you'd, Grizzly, get your feet up, stay on it. Well, you'd fall, and you couldn't do it. But there was one kid, Andrew McTiffin, his name was, Mac. Andrew McTiffin was always in trouble, but he was a tough dude. You didn't mess with Mac. And, uh, and he was told to hang on the wall bars. And, and, and Andrew, I remember one lesson. Andrew McTiffin played up at the beginning. Hang on the wall bars, McTiffin. And Mac hung on the wall bars for the whole lesson. I mean. And afterwards, we said to him, well, Mac, I mean, he was a strong guy, muscly guy. And I said, well, you know, we were talking to him and saying, you, you know, you, you just don't experience pain like we experience pain. Because if you did, you'd have fallen. And he said, no, you just don't have the ability to take the pain in the way I have the ability to take the pain. Now, that's the point. C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, he imagines us walking into the wind, fighting against the wind until we're exhausted and we drop. But Jesus goes into the wind and is exhausted but never drops. He is not only tempted like us, he was tempted and had more trauma in ways we can't even begin to imagine. The pain that Mac went through on the wall bars was nothing like the pain I went through. So when we think, oh, you don't understand Jesus because I'm weak, he says, I understand and I sympathize. He is like us in every way, yet without sin. So what? What is he like that? And what does he do? Three things here. Firstly, he sympathizes with us in our weakness. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way, every respect, is tempted as we are yet without sin. He understands this. It's called, uh, the theological term for this is called the solidarity of Christ, where there is nothing that we go through that he doesn't go, I understand. And my heart is towards you. Let me read this little thing. Wonderful book. I know you've read it, a lot of you. Let me read a little bit from uh, this book, Dane Altman, Gentle and Lowly. He says, consider your own life. When the relationship goes sour, when the feelings of futility come flooding in, when it feels like life is passing us by, when it seems that our one shot at significance has slipped through our fingers, when we can't sort out our emotions, when the longtime friend lets us down, when a family member betrays us, when we feel deeply misunderstood, when we are laughed at by the impressive, in short, when the fallenness of the world closes in on us and makes us want to throw in the towel, there, right there, we have a friend who knows exactly what such testing feels like and sits close to us, embraces us, with us, solidarity. Then he goes on to say, our tendency is to feel intuitively that the more difficult life gets, the more alone we are. As we sink further into pain, we sink further into felt isolation. But the Bible corrects us. Our pain never outstrips what he himself shares in. We are never alone. That sorrow that feels so isolating, so unique, was endured 
by him in the past and is now shouldered by him in the present. This is not just someone we go to because he is like us, but it's someone we go to who can help us. I'll finish with that. So what does he do? He sympathizes with our weakness. He says, I get it. Oh, how I get it. His heart sympathizes. That's an emotional word. Reaches out. He never says, how could you do that? Or, how could you think that? He goes, I get it. With a heart that goes, come on, I get it. Secondly, he deals gently with us. Chapter 5, verse 2. He can deal gently, here's my point this morning, with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself was, this is about high priests, but Jesus was beset with weakness. He deals gently. Now, in, it's one thing to deal gently with the ignorant, isn't it? We have this at home. We, we've got four grandchildren. How old are they? I don't know. Three, four, five, and six. Three, four, five, and six. We've got them all tomorrow for a barbecue. Lord have mercy. Um, four grandchildren. And, and I'm saying, because we're grandparents, this is what you do now. And, the ki- and they're being told off for things they're doing. And I'm coming in and going, they don't understand that yet. They don't understand. No, that, let them have that. No, that's all right. You know, I'm allowed to do that. Then they can carry the consequences of rebellion. That's okay. So that's a grandparent's job. To give them some room. No, let them have another. Oh, it doesn't matter. We deal gently with the ignorant. But it says he deals gently with the wayward. Now, this is where we are not like him. He was neither ignorant nor wayward in his heart, his actions. But he deals gently with the wayward. The ignorant is like, it's, we used to call these things sins of omission, sins of commission. Sins of omission is, I did it, but I didn't understand it or realize it. Forgive them, Father. They know not what they're doing. But sins of commission are, I know it, but did it, thought it, said it anyway. He deals gently with the wayward. Forgive them, Father. They know exactly what they're doing. Isn't that incredible grace? We think he'll be gentle with us when we don't really understand. But he goes, you did that deliberately, didn't you? Yeah, come on, I love you. Come on. The temptation, because this is what we're like. So the kids go, no, I'm not going to do it. The temptation is not to act so gently then. It is like, you look at me right now. Look, look me in the eyes. Ayla, look me in the eyes. Who's the boss? I am you. This is my house. This is my food and this is my rules. But he deals gently with the wayward. Hey, that's a challenge for us, isn't it? Particularly with friends, with parents, with kids in the church. Do I deal 
gently with the wayward. Sometimes no. But we're called to do that. Thirdly, he stands in our place. Look at this in 5.1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So we go to the cross. He sympathizes and gets it. He deals gently with us. And he dies for us. He gives himself as the sacrifice. Not like the old high priest who made a sacrifice, took it in. One for himself and then one for the people of Israel. No, Jesus himself has no sacrifice to make for himself. For he is without sin. And yet, he gives himself on a cross to take the punishment, to take the wrath, to take this God. And this is what happens on the cross. I know it's about the word of God, but God pierces his soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerns the thoughts and intentions of his heart when our thoughts and intentions are placed in his heart on the cross. Does not hide him from his sight, but he is naked and exposed to the eyes of him and gives an account and receives the due penalty. This high priest gets us. This high priest is gentle with us. For this high priest died in our place. The sacrifice is an exchange. My blood for yours. We sing that song, don't we? Arise, my soul, arise. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. He's my great high priest, my spotless sacrifice. Once and for all, it is finished And he has cleansed me from my sin and is gentle with me when I am wayward as well as ignorant. That blesses me because I think I've been a Christian 43 years. And I've been a pastor for 38 of them. And uh, you would think that I could never be wayward. But I am. You would think that there'd be... I I used to be able to plead ignorance. I've only had 43 years of studying this as a full-time professional lord or whatever it is. You're not ignorant, Grizzly. I know, Lord, but I am wayward at times. Come to me. There is gentleness because I have died for you. Finally, how do we respond? Three things here he tells us to do. Number one, hold fast to our confession. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. What do we do? Firstly, let us hold fast our confession. What does that mean? Well, it's what it says. It's not difficult. 
the first thing we do in all of this is we hold fast. That, that, that's a strong Greek word. It means to cling onto with all we have. Our confession. What is our confession? Our belief. Who I am. What Christ has done for me. What the cross has obtained for me. That my sins are forgiven. That he loves me. That he is gent. All the things we've been looking at. Hold fast to that. It's like holding a child's hand when they're crossing the street. And, and the traffic's going back and forth. And you've got to cross the road. How hard, this precious thing, how hard are you going to hold on? They're not getting away. They're not getting away. I saw something on uh, Saving Lives at Sea. Do you ever watch Saving Lives at Sea? I, we call it Saving... I won't use the word we use. Let's call it saving idiots at sea. It's a concern to me. You know, these people, they're keeping them in the gene pool, and some of them shouldn't be. Um, but that's a whole different story. Saving, RNLI, saving lives at sea. And I saw one a couple of weeks ago where, where some guy went out on his surfboard. I'm a cool dude on my surfboard. And just the sea took him out. I mean, miles out. And so they're all trying to get to him, looking for him. And it's like, is he dead? Is he alive? What's going on? And uh, they found him and they got him in. But he said afterwards, I just clung for dear life onto my surfboard. That's what this means. Let us, therefore, cling for dear life onto the gospel. Cling for dear life. I, I talk to so many people. People that can lose the plot. People that find themselves in very traumatic situations in their mind or in their, their, their situation. And frequently the reason is they failed to do this. They didn't give themselves to remind themselves to live in it, to cling fast to their confession of faith. This is who he is. This is what he's done. This is who I am in him. I'm going to hang on to that with everything bit that I've got for my very life depends on it. You know, in that arise my soul arise. Oh, just, I'll come to that in a minute. No, let's not go there yet. So firstly, we hold fast to our confession. The second thing he says is therefore draw near the throne of grace with confidence. That, that, that's, that's an act. So it's the first act is hold fast to your confession. The second one is, okay, now come to him. Draw near to the throne of grace. And again, there's nothing complicated when you're counseling people. It's, right, so the first thing you've got to do is hang on to what you believe. What do you believe? Who are you? Who is Christ to you? What does this mean? Remind me about how you got saved. Remind me about what it means to you. Remind me about what you believe. Okay, now, now let's draw near. How can you draw near? Right, let's, let's draw near in the word. Let's draw near in prayer. Let's draw near in listening to worship. Let's draw near in fellowship. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let's draw near with confidence. He is not going to go, where have you been? You know, I can't read my Bible. I'm in such trouble. No, I can't turn to him. Where have you? He doesn't say, where have you been? He says, come. Draw near the throne of grace with confidence, without fear of rejection. As I, I mentioned earlier, that song, Arise, My Soul, Arise. Do you know that you sing it? Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off your guilty fears. It's, um, it's an old hymn. And... Uh, 
And I think we changed the tune, didn't we, at some point. It's a great hymn, and it's a dreadful hymn. There's, there's, a, there's a bit in there that says, Five bleeding wounds he bears. We sang it last week at our place, and I didn't have the heart to tell him to stop. Um, but I will. Five bleeding wounds he bears. Something purchased on Calvary or something like that. They pour effectual fares. They something cry for me. This is what they cry. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry. Don't let the ransomed sinner die. Hang on a minute. Excuse me. How can a ransomed sinner die? He's ransomed. Is Jesus standing next to the Father? This is, this is why we need to jettison these words. It gives us an idea that the Father is angry with us all the time. And Jesus is going, oh, please, I know he's done it again. Oh, please, don't do that. Please, no. It is finished. It is over. He sees us in Christ. When Jesus is interceding for us, he's interceding for us in our trials, in our struggles, in our weakness. That's the sympathetic high priest. It is done. He presented himself to his Father. It was over. Here I am. So when Pete Greasley willingly sometimes sins messes up jesus isn't going oh don't let the ransom sinner die it's like he's ransomed once and for all so sorry and you can't sing that song again love it's just change the words um not now okay okay babe i much prefer this when satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Up would I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on him. Pardon me. Finally. Did I say finally before? Number three. How do we respond? Firstly, hold fast to our confession. Secondly, draw near to the throne of grace. And thirdly, receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We used to have a, a, a painting when we were first married. 40 years ago, just celebrated our 40th Ruby wedding anniversary. I've put up with so much. <laughs> and it's been so easy for you. <laughs> oh. We used to have a painting, I think, in, in, in the dining room. Um, it was a painting by uh, Alfred Usher's sword called The Lost Sheep. You may have seen it where you've got this sheep hanging on the edge of a cliff and Jesus, uh, this picture of Jesus reaching down to try and pull it up. The good shepherd kind of thing. And we think that's what it's like. It's not like that at all. Jesus doesn't hang over and try and grab us. Jesus, Jesus is like, I'm drowning. It's more like a ship or a boat and you're drowning in the water. Jesus just plunges in, holds you up and drowns himself. That's how we receive mercy and grace in time of needs. It's the father holding the son up in the water, even as he drowns. 
to keep him there. There is mercy and grace, but we have to receive it. We receive it. We say, Lord, give me what I need. Come to me in ways I can't do it. Thank you, you're gentle. Thank you, you understand. Thank you, there is help in that time of need. Thank you that you say come. Thank you that you never say how could you or why did you. Thank you that you are gentle even with the wayward. Here I come. I'll end with a hymn. Got this. If you ever go to old bookshops, go to the religious thing and try and find old hymn books. This is the uh, Scottish Presbyterian hymn book from 1917. There's all new hymns in there, you see. It's just wonderful. We'll end with this. Where high the heavenly temple stands, the house of God not made with hands, a great high priest our nature wears, the guardian of mankind appears. He who for men their surety stood and poured on earth his precious blood, pursues in heaven his mighty plan, the saviour and the friend of man. Though now ascended up on high, he bends on earth a brother's eye. Partaker of the human name, he knows our frailty of our fame. He knows the frailty of our fame, frame. Our fellow sufferer yet retains, oh, this is great, our fellow sufferer yet retains a fellow feeling of our pains and still remembers in the skies his tears, his agonies and cries. In every pang that rends the heart, the man of sorrows has a part. He sympathizes with our grief and to the sufferer sends relief with boldness therefore at the throne let us make all our sorrows known and ask the aid of heavenly power to help us in the evil hour sweet let's pray father thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you. He is our great high priest. Lord, as we contemplate these glorious words in Scripture and the invitation that you give us to come, we are so grateful that you do not expect anything from us except to receive from you. Lord, I pray that these words, even this week, may bring us comfort, joy, delight in our souls. Lord, may we do this. May we live this. May we understand your kindness and the gentleness of Christ to every one of us. In his wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Amen.